0: It's the first Monday of the month, and it is our monthly Q&A show. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 274.
1: Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stehoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom... That will empower you to become a better leader. And once a month, we open up the show to your questions. And Bonnie and I uh, attempt to do the best we can of providing some responses, or at least to give us all an opportunity to think about uh, some of these questions in a different way, even even if we don't provide the exact answer. Because as always, Bonnie, these situations are pretty complicated. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me back.
0: Well, let's jump right in because we have a few questions to uh, tackle this month. Uh, the first question here is from John. John writes in and says, Hello, Dave. I'm an avid listener of your podcast and find them to be a great resource. Thank you, John. In many of your episodes, you've touched on how to retain staff as well as what to do when someone quits. Are there any episodes that touch on what to do if it's me as in the leader that's leaving or quitting? I am intending to stay with my current organization, but I'm trying to pivot into a new role. And as a result, um, I'd be leaving my current group of direct reports. They're all valuable contributors to the organization. So I'm looking for guidance on how to best complete this transition.
1: I'm so glad that you're asking this question, John, because it shows me that you are a person who knows that stuff like this really matters. And especially if you have developed a relationship with a team of trust and you've been able to create some big wins together. It is a big transition. It's a time of mourning, a time of grieving sometimes, and even just change, even if it's positive change and maybe it's not something people are necessarily going to grieve, it is st- something that we still need to process. One of the real treasured books that I have had throughout the years is by Edward Bridges. Edward Bridges, his whole area of research is around transition. William fact, Bridges, you mean? Yes, William. William's twin brother, Edward <laughs> What are those bridges, (laughs) bridges, rivers, streams, William bridges, boy, (laughs) lately I have been on my podcast trying to cite authors and I can't remember the person's first name. So I just refer to them by their last name. Like they're just like share or Prince or something like that. But This time, I didn't even hear myself saying the name wrong. I didn't even hesitate. Anyway, back to William Bridges, our good friend, William. He got his first book out. It was called Transitions, and we've talked about it before on the show. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book about change and all the work that he's done in that area. But he wrote another one called Leading Transitions. And any time that I go and try to map out one of these transitions, like the one that you've described here, John, I go back to the checklist in that book that he has about how to lead transitions. He's got lots of great ideas. And one thing I would just say that I'm fairly sure he addresses, but that I have just seen evidence that we're not very good at doing this. We, the, the proverbial we in the world, is just leaving space for things leaving room for things. Sometimes there just isn't anything you can say or isn't anything you can do to make something better. But just allow people to express themselves and meet them where they are and allow them the space to talk and share and see what fears they have, see what concerns they have, or see what joy they have over, because this could actually end up being a really good thing in terms of them seeing that your company is willing to promote from within and the excitement that you have over doing something new could be hey here's evidence that there's opportunity in this company and it can be exciting but what i love that you're acknowledging in the way that you framed your questions is you don't know how people are going to feel and i would stay i would stay with that in that it could be taken a lot of different ways and people experience these different these things different ways and then people of course experience things different ways on different days and one day it might be harder than the next day And if you find yourself in this position, a really important thing, too, is to make sure that you support whoever that new person is. And even if, just as an example, at my institution, I have taught the same class for 12 years now, and it's kind of something that a lot of the students look forward to taking this class with me their senior year, and it's something that, oh, they'll hear about it when they're freshmen, and then they'll, oh, I can't wait till I get to take that, because it kind of has some stories that go along with it that really creates memories for some of the students that wind up taking it and a colleague actually of dave's ended up teaching the class this semester and i felt a little bit Bad frame is incredibly competent. I knew he was going to do great, but it's just hard because even though I knew he was going to do great, he's not me. <laughs> and and time you're like in your case, whoever takes your place, they're not going to be you, and they could be better than you in so many areas. <laughs> it's 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 not a competition of who's better or worse. If people are competent, they're just they're not you. And to recognize that sometimes, then we do these comparison things. And we look for ways, just human nature, is we look for ways to keep things in equilibrium, that's kind of a human nature type of trait, we can break out of it. And some of us are better at that than others. But you will find human systems trying to maintain status quo. And part of that will be this new person isn't you. So looking for faults early. And boy, I'll say also, as a new leader, coming into an organization, whoever this person is, it's so easy to make mistakes, to, to just do something that culturally you don't know that a word has a particular trigger around it or a memory or the name of something has a trigger around it. So I'm so glad you asked this question, John, and it's so nice to hear from you. And I hope that you'll consider writing back to Dave and I and letting us know how it goes. We really wish you the best as you pursue this possibility.
0: Well, you already uh, stole one of mine that I was going to mention. So I, I agree with everything you said. And then what I would add for you, John, is also... Thinking in advance about how you're going to frame the story of the transition and why it's a positive transition for you. And um, I, I know I've said this on the show before, but you tell the story of your career ultimately. And if you don't, other people will create that story for you. And so I think that it's worth it as intentional as you are about thinking about this question and a possible transition in the future of also framing why you're doing this why you're making this transition why it's good for you why especially an internal transition why that's good for the organization because you know transitions are a normal healthy part of most organizations and moving on to a new opportunity is a, is a healthy thing for you and i think people need to see that and understand the reasons um, that you're doing that and i think if you are ready with how you will articulate that and the story that you'll tell as far as why you're doing this and why it's a positive thing for you. I think that that really shapes not only your brand within the organization in a very positive way, but it also then shapes the career trajectory for others of knowing, you know, this is something I can also do for myself when I'm ready for the next opportunity. You know, I can make this transition and it can be a positive thing and it can be a very healthy transition for myself and for the organization. And so I'd, I'd certainly encourage you to do that as well. And then um, I, I hesitate to say this, John, because I, just the fact that you, ask this question means I don't think this is going to be, an, this is not a concern I'd have for you at all, but more for other folks who are listening, who might be thinking about making a transition, especially a transition out of an organization. Um, I've definitely seen it happen where leaders moving on from the organization have taken that time between them announcing their departure and their actual having left to either try to make a lot of change in the organization or potentially speak poorly about things the organization has done that they felt like they couldn't do. But now that they're leaving, they feel like this is an okay time to sometimes vent some frustration. And I do think that that is a mistake to do, not only for, not only for you and your own branding. And, I don't, and again, I'm not saying you, John, specifically, but any of us for our own branding and how people perceive us in our organizations and in our industries, which tend to be a lot smaller than a lot of us think that they are. I think that's a mistake for us. But I also think that that really potentially creates a very difficult environment for the people who are staying with the organization or staying with that group. If that's not done in a healthy way and someone's just venting something when they're leaving, it uh, it really creates a difficult dynamic for people then to na- have to navigate through that after a leader departs. So I'd certainly caution anyone against that. Um, I think when you have made the decision to leave and it's been announced that you have your message of why you're doing it, and I think staying positive at that point going forward about the organization and the people who work there is really a critical uh, critical thing to do. So thanks again for the question, John. Like Bonnie said, we'd love to hear what happens.
1: This next question is from Allison, and she asks a common issue I've observed is the lack of potential nursing leaders. The gap is not from lack of qualifications, but nursing leaders do not have the exposure to learn how to present themselves professionally. I've just participated in recruitment and interviewing for my post grad fellowship program, and noticed that individuals who graduate from an MBA or MHA program, interview well and present themselves professionally. It seems as though MBA MHA programs focus on business writing and case studies, which help prepare students for interviewing and communicating their abilities. I would like to find a way to help cultivate strong nursing leaders for the future. From your experience, what would be the best way to educate the most people with minimal resources?
0: is the eternal question of training and development, right, Bonnie, of how do you educate the most people with the minimum number of resources? And Allison, thank you so much for asking this. And Allison's actually a former student of mine for a few years. I, I'm not sure if most people in the podcast know I taught uh, leadership classes in a graduate nursing program. And so I had the pleasure of working with Allison and she was fabulous. So hello, Allison. Allison I'm glad to hear you're doing well. And uh, I have a few thoughts on this. There's obviously a lot of ways we can answer this question. I'm really curious what Bonnie thinks too. But the what you mentioned at the end as far as how do you educate a lot of people, and especially with minimal resources, I'm going on the assumption that you're looking for things that don't cost much money as far as an implementation strategy. And so I have a couple of suggestions of things that actually don't cost anything, but that if you did, I think would be starting points toward getting the people in your organization at least talking about leadership and actually doing it and starting to take action on their leadership development. And so uh, one suggestion I'd have is, since I know you've listened to the show for a while, um, I was just having dinner with one of our listeners in Florida this past week. Uh, Hello to John, by the way. And John and his boss, Brent, listen to the show together um, every... Well, they don't necessarily listen together, but they both listen to the show every week. And then he was telling me that uh, they'll often get together later on in the week, and they'll talk about the guest that was on the show and some of the lessons and what it means for them and their organization. So shout out to both of you for, for, for doing that, um, which I think is awesome. And I've heard from a number of listeners over the years who have either um, utilized the podcast as a starting point or have taken a podcast episode and asked everyone in the organization to listen to it, or, or there's been a group of people that have listened to an episode together and then had a discussion about it. I think it's a really easy thing to do because it's pretty low commitment. Unlike asking everyone to, say for example, read a book, that's a pretty that's a pretty big that's a much bigger commitment for a lot of people. Uh, listening to a short podcast as a starting point for a conversation, I think you could probably get a couple of people involved in that. And have a conversation about it at a weekly staff meeting or a monthly staff meeting. And that gets you started on at least having a conversation about the things that you're hearing and that they're hearing and how you can implement that in the organization. Uh, The other opportunity that when I think of leadership, I mean, one of the things I know I've I've made so many mistakes in leadership uh, over the years and, and of course, continue to make mistakes uh, as we all do as leaders. And there's no substitute for just getting out and starting to lead. Uh, I mean, you can read all the books and listen to all the podcasts, and those are great starting points out there, of course, for getting knowledge. Uh, At the end of the day, it's really important for people to get experience leading. And so, Allison, one of the things I'd look for is what can you give as opportunities for people to begin to start to develop themselves as leaders? And I think one one of the easier things, easy is not the right word, one of the simpler things to do as a leader is to start looking at what's on your plate. And think about what can I delegate. What's something that is uh, something I'm responsible for that I can bring someone else up to speed on and teach them how to start doing these things, and also to allow them to start making mistakes with some of these things. Maybe it's something you know well um, to give them the real practical experience of leadership, and um, and a framework for that is back on episode 117. uh, We talked about the steps of how to delegate. Uh, The the great thing about doing that is is your You're doing a lot by doing that. One is you're having a conversation about leadership development pretty regularly with people. Secondly, is you're giving them new skill sets that will help them to perform more effectively in your organization and things that will help them throughout their career. And I think the third benefit for you is if you do that well and over time, it frees you up to do other things as a leader. So you can spend more time on the strategic and on the coaching and development and the things that are the real work of leadership. And so I would recommend those two things as starting points. And of course, there's a time investment for both of those, but um, you can do that with a little or no budget and probably see a lot of practical results for people and for you and your organization. And I'm curious what Bonnie thinks too, because uh, you you've done a lot of this over the years as far as looking for ways to work within small budgets and how to help people develop.
1: One of the unique challenges that professions like nursing have is that the tyranny of the urgent, which so many of us face in our professional lives, is actually really important for, you know, actually saving lives. So the the there's a lot of talk in leadership literature about the dangers of just continually being caught up in the urgent. Back in the early 90s, I remember reading Stephen Covey's time management book called First Things First. If you read it today, it's still going to be incredibly relevant. And one of the things he talks about is the tyranny of the urgent and how we can be highly productive people who are getting important things done, but only the kind of important things done that are urgent the phone calls the patient the emergency the doctors need this i mean that 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 those things now there are there are ways to become addicted to those things which are urgent but not important I mean, we also read a lot about our phones and the addictive nature of that and social media and that actually, you know, if I, some people that are related to Dave, who I will not mention actually have a chime audible, audibly ring every time an email comes in on their phone. And let's just say we were recently spending some time and I thought, are you kidding me? How do you like that? That actually, Hey dad, how are you? (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything.
0: He already knows.
1: <laughs> but like, that's not, that's not good. You know, that, that allowing sort of the addictive qualities that don't produce rich fruits in our lives. But, but by the way, there are also a potential for social media to produce rich fruits, but it's just thinking carefully about how we're investing our time. So what, again, one of the unique challenges in trying to develop leadership skills and other skills in a nursing environment is that we are going to need to think very critically about how to adapt the culture to leave room for that. Because what you're doing is you're moving from that quadrant that says it's urgent and it's important to needing to spend some time in the, it's important, but it's not urgent. Reading a book about how to develop my leadership skills is important depending on the book, of course, (laughs) but it's not urgent. I mean, I can just say, oh, I don't have any time to read books. i got too much going on. Having a conversation where we talk about what my career goals are and what's really important to me or giving me feedback about something that I did poorly, that's important, but it's really easy to put that kind of stuff off. So that would be one thing to really think very, very hard about the culture and how we might start finding room for this kind of work. And, and, and therefore, I would say in almost all cases, I don't know your case, Allison, but in almost all cases, that means starting small, starting with a small pilot group of people that have great potential where you can test it out. And then when people start to get nervous and uncomfortable because you're starting to ruffle the feathers of a culture that's very ingrained, you say, oh, it's just a pilot. It's just, we're trying it out. We're going to see what happens. And that helps people feel feel a little bit better. And as far as who you involve, we can't assume that everyone wants what you just described. We can't assume that everyone wants to learn how to present themselves professionally or sees benefits of doing that or can, can envision the worth of something like that if they've never been exposed or just not had an interest in it. So you want to make sure that that you are only, especially in the new part of it, only including people who have a desire and can, can see the same vision that you do for the kinds of ways that these skills can transform our lives. And part of that too is leaving opportunities for reflection in whatever it is that you develop and opportunities for practice. One of the most successful things about Training interventions are the ones that you have noticeable change, change in terms of one's knowledge, change in terms of one's skills, and then change in terms of one's mindset or attitude. I mean, all three of those things are transformative when when we can see change happening in those areas. And then on a practical note, you might want to do a little bit of googling for alternative MBAs. There are a number of programs that are out there. Some of them are paid, like Seth Godin has Alt MBA, and that's a $3000 program that is not what I am suggesting for what you've just described, but I'd go to his website and at least look at his reading list and have a gander at some of the things they have found to be critical. He's a really smart thinker in the business world, and I would trust that one. But there also are free alternative MBAs that people out there have put together, curriculum, because they're trying to challenge the expense of higher ed. And in some higher ed programs, as you described, some of them are less good at having it be more real-world orientation, And so you'll find lots of critics of higher ed formal programs and the expense of them that are just cultivating some free resources that are definitely worth checking out.
0: And two calls to action for you as well, Allison, um, and for everyone listening, is we do have a lot of folks in the healthcare industry listen, and I know many nursing leaders listen to the podcast. I think this is just a starting point What we're talking about. I hope if you have a suggestion for Allison specifically uh, that you know of in healthcare, go to coachingforleaders.com 274, leave it in the comments so we uh, can all be aware of it. And then the second call to action is, um, Allison, for you and for anyone else, if you haven't already set up your free membership on the Coaching for Leaders website, go to coachingforleaders.com. On the front page, you'll see where you can set up the free membership. There's a bunch of things you get with that. One of them is access to the podcast library and to be able to search by topic. So for those of you who are thinking about maybe utilizing a podcast or utilizing that as a conversation point or um, having people starting to listen, that will help you to zero down really quickly into exactly the topic you're looking for, the the issue that's relevant right now to your organization. And so it's a lot easier than just searching through the the database of uh, past. So, so hopefully, hopefully those will get you started, Allison. And uh, glad to hear from you. Look forward to uh, hearing what happens and what you decide to do with it. Let's go next to a question from Andrew. Andrew wrote in and says, I truly enjoy listening to the podcast. I started listening back in May May of 2016. I've taken away many best practices from the advice of the show. In August, I was promoted from a sales position to leadership. And since then, I continue to listen to your show to improve my skills every day. Well, congratulations, Andrew. I'm so glad to hear that. And he uh, goes on and says, recently, I have been having trouble giving and receiving feedback. I should be prepared to provide negative and positive specific feedback at an upcoming meeting. Among all the other leaders, um, I will be present. I feel uncomfortable giving feedback in front of the group. How should I prepare myself?
1: When I read your question, Andrew, I found myself asking about 50 more questions. So forgive me as I kind of walk through this and, and think through it. I would not be at all surprised that you would feel uncomfortable giving positive, especially negative feedback in front of others, especially if you haven't really been prepared for what that will look like. I'm not sure if you will be doing this for the first time with a group of people that you don't know well, or if this is with a group of people you've been working with for a while and regularly been giving each other feedback. I think in terms of feedback in general, one of the things I would say is that we, we want to be very careful when assuming intent on other people's parts and try to focus our language on people's behaviors or specifically in in one case, what was said. I noticed that you said this. And when you said this, I felt this way is a much less defensive way of bringing something up versus Dave, I know you felt this way. And when you, know, you said this and I know you were trying to make me, you made me feel mad. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the classic thing is you made me feel, nobody can make someone feel that way. So trying to take that out of your language can be helpful of, I heard you say this and when that happened, I was concerned or or whatever. That can be a good way of framing feedback. One of the things that Dave has mentioned on the show previously is the danger of thinking that our feedback has to come in a positive, negative, positive sandwich. Like that's such a manipulative inauthentic way of communicating people know they can feel it when you're just trying to come up with something positive when something didn't go well so that's you know how do you handle it if there really isn't much positive to say and and I think always retaining our authenticity but also trying to communicate our care and concern for another person and that's why we're giving the feedback I guess I would also want to know, you know, who's facilitating this and are they going to be providing you with some kind of a structure? Because if you are in an environment where you have a practice facilitator, you might have less to worry about than you imagine because they'll be providing that for you. I'll give you an example. I teach a lot of presentation skills I have over my entire career. And when you're doing that, when you're coaching presenters, and then when they're done, you don't want to give them 14 things that they should do different the next time. Cause they can't process that much. So you want to just focus on one thing to do differently the next time. And, and so that because I've done it for so long, I know not to even try two things. I mean, cause if, You just want to change one small thing about your presenting. That's all you need to be thinking about the next time. But then also reinforcing in a very specific way the things to keep doing is another thing that a practiced facilitator coach would do for presenters. The reason I bring that up is my hope for you is that whoever's facilitating these sessions will provide that kind of structure for you. Because that that's tough when you're in groups. Feedback is often best given one-on-one, except in situations where you're all working on building and growing some skills together. Like I've done many sales workshops too. And if we're doing role plays together, then that is a place where we can learn by watching other people in the role play and then hearing the feedback and giving some ourselves.
0: Yeah, thanks for mentioning the feedback sandwich. I think that is a, mis- it's often a mistake that um, people make. And I, I think to the extent Andrew, that you can separate, if you're giving positive feedback and you're also giving constructive criticism, I I think if you can find a way to separate those, I think that most of the time that's helpful. Because otherwise, people sort of don't hear the positive feedback, they only hear the critical, or they assume the positive is only said in order to soften the blow of the critical feedback that's coming. So when I've given feedback to people before, I try to look at it not as a one-time event, but over a period of time, over a week or a month and interactions. And I try to balance most of that time with giving positive reinforcement, giving positive feedback. And then when I do need to give critical feedback, i just giving the critical feedback, not starting with the positive, because otherwise it just doesn't sound authentic and people tend to discount the positive feedback that they're hearing, even if it is intended as genuine. So I would just be careful about that. Um, it's not always possible to do that, but the extent you can separate those, I think it's, it's helpful. To Bonnie's point, too, the other thing I'd also be cautious about with the group is if you are giving critical feedback to the group, I would be certain that it is an issue that really is relevant for the entire group. And I say that because there is a tendency a lot of times, especially with newer leaders, to... If there's one person that's doing something that's not effective in the organization or, or someone that needs to be given feedback is to instead of just addressing that one person or the two people or whatever, whoever has the, um, the situation is to give the feedback to the entire group. And almost never does that work, and um, and and people don't perceive you to be a very credible leader if they, because they know there's an issue most of the time, the other people in the room, and they know who you're talking about. And my experience has been is almost everyone knows who's being talked about, except the person who really needs to hear what it is that's being said. So if there's something that is just relevant for one or two people, um, have that conversation with them on their own, one-on-one uh, with you, and and have have the group. In group feedback be positive feedback. Or if it is really something that's relevant for everyone or most everyone, then of course, that's something that is appropriate for the group. Um, it reminds me of an article I wrote a while back that I'll put a link in the show notes to of three reasons why punishing a team is a bad idea. Um, and I go into some depth on that in, in addition to a bunch of other areas when you're thinking about giving feedback to a team. So you may want to review that as well. And in addition, Andrew, for you and for everyone else who's maybe looking for some real concrete steps on how to give positive feedback and give constructive feedback... I'd rep, uh I'd recommend episode nine, which was on giving positive feedback to others, and then I'd also recommend episode ten, giving constructive feedback to others. So both of those, if you go back and listen, will give you a really solid framework of on exactly how to approach it. We've cataloged all the resources we mentioned in today's show, the articles, the books we talked about. And the best way to get access to those is to get the weekly leadership guide every Wednesday. That's part of the free Coaching for Leaders membership. It always includes the show notes, the resources that we've mentioned in every episode that comes on Wednesday after the show airs on Monday. And in addition, in that same email, you'll have a list of Now, usually four or five resources of other things I've found during the week, news articles, other podcasts, uh, articles from other uh, folks who are thinking doing really good thinking on leadership, uh, those are always included in that message as well. So to get access to that, just set up your free Coaching for Leaders membership. It's also how you get access to the podcast library I was talking about on uh, earlier in the episode. And you can do that by just going to coachingforleaders.com. And when you get to the homepage, you'll see a spot right there to activate your free membership. And when you do, in addition to all of those benefits and a bunch of others, when you get in there, you'll get immediate access to my free 10-day audio course, that's titled, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And if you will give me 10 minutes or less a day for 10 days, it will help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. All the episodes are or the lessons, rather, between five and 10 minutes. And uh, I've gotten a bunch of email from people just in the last few weeks since that course has aired of how helpful it's been and how practical that each one of those lessons are. So definitely check that out, especially if you're a relatively new listening to the show. A ton of the lessons that uh, we've heard on the show in the last few years have are, uh, are inside of that audio course. And again, just go to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. Here's a few related episodes to today's conversation. I'd already mentioned episode nine and also episode 10. Episode nine is giving positive feedback to others, and episode 10 is giving constructive feedback to others. So if either of those are things you're thinking about uh, doing better at, I would check those out. Also, episode 117, I mentioned the seven steps you follow to delegate work. And that's a critical, critical episode for almost all of us as leaders, especially if you're a new leader, and especially if you've been promoted up and maybe you're still doing some of your responsibilities that you were doing in your previous role, and it's time to start handing them off to other people. That is a really critical listen, episode 117. And then finally, I didn't mention this earlier, but feedback got me thinking about episode 107, three steps to soliciting feedback with my friend, Tom Henschel, a really powerful model from Tom on how to solicit feedback really well and to actually get feedback from people. That's helpful. And uh, in addition to giving feedback, of course, all of us as leaders should be thinking about how we're soliciting feedback and listening to the feedback we're getting from the people that we work with on a regular basis. So check that out as well. Uh, The way to get to all the past episodes, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number that will take you Right there, and of course, all the links will be in the leadership guide coming up this week. On next week's episode, I am welcoming Terry Lapovsky to the show. He is going to discuss with me how to survive and thrive as the underdog. Terry is an executive coach, and he has built a practice around coaching underdogs—people who, uh, you know, have something that is uh, causing them to be, you know, the the underdog in the organization for whatever reason. And I think you'll find the conversation to be really helpful, whether you are the underdog in your organization, or maybe you're trying to support someone who is. And finally this week, thank you to Walk Doc in the UK and Christine Scarborough here in the States for the very kind reviews on iTunes. Thank you to both of you. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a rating and review for the show, I'm always grateful for those. Go to Coaching for Leaders dot com slash iTunes. Have a great week and see you next Monday for a chat about being the underdog.